The Adventure of the Forest of Cedar, Part 2. Continuing with Tablet 4, Column 1. Kaido and Gilgamesh traveled together, side by side. They traveled a full day before they ate. They traveled well into the night before they took their rest. They did this day after day. The distance to the forest took them from the new moon to the full moon, and then three days more, and they came to the mountains of the north. Far beyond the fertile fields of Uruk, beyond the plains of the river, beyond the ravine and ridge as they came closer to the forest. The forest now stretched before them wider than I could see, higher than a great wall, dense with cedar in the thousands, and rising beyond the forest like the distant darkened heavens, the shaded mountains of Lebanon. There they dug a pit for Shamash, they took water from the springs that came from the mountain and poured their libations of cool water, then refilled their water skins. They made an offering of flour to the mountain. Gilgamesh prayed, O mountain, bring me a dream to help me. And Kaidu assisted his dreaming. He made Gilgamesh to rest, and he made a circle of barley around him. He made a sacrifice with blood. Gilgamesh sat with his chin on his knees. Sleep, which spills over us, washed over him too. A dust devil appeared, and Enkaidu held it still. In the middle of the night, at the time when the watches changed at the gates, Gilgamesh started from his sleep. He stood up and said to his friend, My friend, did you speak to me? Why am I awake? Did you touch me? Why am I so upset? Did a god pass by? Why do I feel so weak? I had a dream, I know, and it is the dream that upsets me. At the foot of the shaded mountain in a ravine, I looked up and the mountain fell over on top of us. We were helpless. We were like flies. And Kaidu, who is born of the open country, helped his friend. He explained his dream. My friend, your dream is good. The mountain you saw is this distant mountain. We will seize Humbaba and kill him and leave his corpse to waste on the ground. 
the light of dawn we shall hear the word of Shamash telling us this dream is good. After another whole day's journey, they ate their rations, they came closer to the mountains, closer to the forest. When night came, they took their rest. There they dug a pit for Shamash. As the sun set, they dug the pit. Gilgamesh turned to the mountain and made his flower offering, O mountain, bring me a dream to help me. And Kaido helped his dreaming. He made him rest and drew a circle of barley about him. A dust devil came, and Ankaidu fixed it in midair. Gilgamesh sat with his chin on his knees, and sleep overcame him, as it spills over all of us. In the middle of the night he started. He stood up and said to Ankaidu, Did you call me? Why am I awake? Did you touch me? Why am I so upset? Did a god pass? Then why do I feel so weak? I had another dream. It was the dream that upset me. Again, the mountain fell upon us as we passed beneath it, and the rocks of it tangled my feet so that I could not move. Then came an intolerable blazing light, and inside that light some person who was inexpressibly beautiful, he pulled me out. He gave me water to drink and comforted me and then helped me to stand again. And Kaido explained his dream. Humbaba is like the mountain. He will fail as surely as the sun arises. We will stand over his body. I know that Shamash will favor us in the morning. In one more day, they came to the gate of the forest of Humbaba. A gate built, they say, by the builders of Nippur, the holy city of Elil, but no one knows why. It is wonderfully high, though not so high as the forest that looms beyond it. When they came upon the threshold of the gate, Humbaba knew they had come, and they heard his voice, the rushing flood, the flood which destroys cities, and like a raging bull, he crashed through the woods. And Kaido knew Humbaba must be near the gate, and he wanted them to hurry and break it open and chase him before Humbaba could gain the advantage. He raised his axe to break the seal of the gate, but he had not heart enough to destroy it. He admired it too much. But to his surprise, he only pushed on it, and it flung open wide. Gilgamesh now prepared to challenge Humbaba to chase him into his forest lair. And Ankaidu called back, No, Gilgamesh, do not go into the forest. When I opened the gate, my hand lost its strength. But Gilgamesh went ahead past him, saying to his friend, If we go together, we will protect one another. If we die, we will have fame. They stood inside the gate. The sun was setting and shone golden light aslant the forest line. They stood in awe beside one another and gazed upon it, gazed and would not speak for a time. The forest shed a chill upon them and enveloped them in its fragrance. Its presence was like a god, so huge, so lush, so vast. 
out of the forest as the light fell, as if by some intention, the noises of the animals therein arose. First, the delicate evening calls of birds, intermittent and distinct, the mournful dove, the melodious thrush, the caw, the chip, joining and increasing and compounding, then the drone of insects like an enveloping undertone, enlarged, then the drubbing of the frogs as a cadence to it all, and in the final telling voice, alarmed by human intruders, the mocking monkeys cried, who in the lofty branches swarmed and thrashing, unseen but for the glints of their eyes and their ironic grins. With darkness coming, Gilgamesh dug the pit for Shamish and poured the libation of cool water, and he did not forget to call his father's name. Turning toward the mountain, he poured the flower offering and said again, O mountain house of heavens, bring me a dream to help me. Again, and for the last time, in Kaidu positioned Gilgamesh for his rest, drew the circle of barley about him, and did other things to assist his dreaming. Gilgamesh sat with his chin on his knees, and sleep overcame him like the waters. A dust devil appeared, and Enkaidu fixed it in midair. Then in the middle of the night, once more, Gilgamesh started, awakened suddenly, and stood up and said, Did you call me? Why am I awake? Did you touch me? Why am I so upset that a god pass? And why do I feel so weak? It was the dream, I know. It was the dream that came to me. The heavens roared and the earth roared up to the heavens. Daylight failed, darkness fell, lightning flashed. Fire blazed out of the forest. Clouds gathered and ashes and coals rained down on us. Then the day reappeared, and darkness disappeared, and the fire was gone. Only all was smoldering, all was ashen and charred all about us. I am afraid of this dream, and Kaidu. And Kaidu had nothing to say. The sickness, the weakness that had enfeebled his hand, seemed to be overwhelming him. He looked at Gilgamesh without speaking. The two of them soberly watched till dawn. And when the light made it possible, though all about them it was strangely silent, Gilgamesh decided he would take the trees as he had intended. He readied his axes, and Kaidu readied his. With his axe sharpened and honed, Gilgamesh was the first to take down a tree at the edge of the forest, cleaving it so it would topple through the gateway. When the tree fell, shattering branches, shuddering the ground, Humbaba heard it and felt the loss to his domain. Like a part of him hurt and wheeled to stalk Gilgamesh, advancing with increasing malice, increasing his speed. Gilgamesh climbed atop the bowl of the huge cedar and hacked the limbs to sever them to prepare the length of it for transport and carpentry. And Kaidu 
had not been able to help. He had not been able to stand. He told Gilgamesh, now, my friend, I cannot help you. I feel weaker still. Now I cannot lift this axe. I am frightened of this place. Gilgamesh stopped his labor and went into the forest to search for certain plants. His mother had taught him where to look and what to seek. To find the plants, ones with succulent leaves that he would rub on in Kaidu to relieve him, to stimulate and revive him. He went so deeply into the forest that he lost sight of Enkaidu, and the canopy of cedar shadowed the forest like dusk. No animals moved under it. The birds were high above the forest floor and could not be heard. The cedars, drizzling the sacred substance of their incense, showered him with the fine, fragrant dew, sticky to touch. He found out the paths of Humbaba and the tracks where he went to and fro. He crossed those paths warily and avoided them. Finally, when he had found the plants and had gathered enough, he turned back. Something evil glided behind him. Into the sun of afternoon he emerged, and Enkaidu was lying on the ground like an old man who wanted to die. How can I go into the forest? Gilgamesh rebuked him. Do not talk like a coward. We've come many days to be here. We have come to fell the trees for our household, you and me. You will not help me. He administered the plants to Enkaidu's body, and Kaido, too, helped him to rub the plants upon his limbs, his chest, to revive him. Gilgamesh rose as Enkaidu finished the medicine. You've rubbed yourself with the plants, so you need not fear death. It has given double radiance to your body. Your shout will be like Humbaba, like a kettle grun. The weaknesses will leave your hands and arms, and your legs will regain strength to stand and run. Take my hand, my friend. It is time we get into the forests. My heart burns for the contest. Forget death. Think only of life. And Kaido stood and felt himself refreshed like a lion whose bloodlust, whose fresh taste of mortal wounds has excited it. It is invigorated, keen, and alert. Gilgamesh said, Now we're both ready to fight. You will go in front to guard your friend. It is said, The lion cannot defeat two of his cubs at once, and the twin-twined rope, when bound together, is the strongest rope. One alone cannot prevail. 
They stood together, each took up his weapons, an axe and the belted swords, and side by side facing the forest, each of them silently considered his destiny. The forest stood silently before them. Within the forest, Humbaba silently watched them. They stood before the path along which Humbaba went to and fro in the darkness of the forest. The mountain rose beyond as the sun began now to decline into his daily track of the heavens. The shaded dwellings showed in its hiding features, dwellings of gods, shrines for Ishtar, where she is called Irnini, as she changes herself to that one here. The cedars spread serpentine into the ravines, luxuriant and embrangled with fern and other undergrowth. From the forest, Humbaba's voice quietly rose up, like the surrounding sound of river rushing. It rose up and surrounded them. He said, You are a fool, Gilgamesh. You and the brute animal you bring with you. Why do you come here? Your friend is still weak, and he is unworthy of you. He does not know his father's name, like the bastard of a beggar. You are both so small. You are no more to me than little turtles that do not even suck their mother's milk, so I would not want to touch you. Even if I were to kill you, eating you would not satisfy me. Gilgamesh did not speak, and Kaidu did not speak. Humbaba's hidden eyes glowered. The malice that he felt was bitter as vomit in his mouth. Gilgamesh, I will bite you through your windpipe and leave you to bleed, for the birds to devour your eyes and guts and for other scavengers to eat your flesh. Now Gilgamesh retreated backwards to the outside of the gate, and Enkedu, guarding him, went backwards with him. Humbaba vented his breath through his nostrils, and fronds and branches of cedar shriveled as it passed through them and reached the two who felt it like a bonfire. Gilgamesh trembled now. My friend, Humbaba is more terrible than I knew. He will leap on us and kill us before we can raise our swords. Did you feel his breath? It was like the forge of the coppersmith. And Kaidu replied to him calmly. You are feeling the sickness of the forest that I felt. We cannot hide here. We cannot turn back. Gilgamesh turned toward the sun to Shamash. Terrified, he looked for courage. Remember what you said in Uruk. Do you hear me? Through his tears, his vision was blurred. A voice came down to him from out of the sky. Gilgamesh, child of Uruk, king of earth, do not let him go deeply into the woods. He is not yet clothed in all his seven cloaks, those seven terrors by which he destroys men. He appears now only in this one. He terrifies you now only with his voice. So Gilgamesh and Enkaidu 
drew out their swords as the sun set, and the forest gleamed with its light. Humbaba withdrew in stealth. Their swords showed streak of vetergris, new and unused as they were. But these were not new and unused warriors. They took to the path together going into the forest. They took to the track of Humbaba. They pursued him into the darkness swiftly now before the sun failed. Humbaba called back to them, Why do you not go? Inkaidu answered, The lion cannot defeat two of his cubs at once, and the twin twined rope when bound together is the strongest rope. They pressed Humbaba into the depths of the forest, or did Humbaba draw them deeper into his realm? For the sun now was almost below the horizon, and in the shadows of the trees it was already like night. Against the wall of the mountain they came towering over them with the face of the rock rising high above the forest to where the final glow of failing light showed their flame. And beyond it, midnight sky. It was like a dream to them. Humbaba was gone. He had escaped. Or were they trapped now? in the darkness of the forest, the edge of the night. Again, the forest surging sang. Again, the birds in cacophony and the insects throbbing, the monkeys screaming and wildly dashing. What is Humbaba? What animal? What god? Whose voice was like a weapon, like the rushing flood, whose breath was unearthly fire, whose breath would burn a man to death. His face or form was unknown. He would fall upon them like the mountain. He would fall from the face of the rock like the shedding of stone, like an avalanche of heaven, and smother them, crush them. Gilgamesh turned and looked up as he heard the air, as he felt the air crashing before the weight, and he saw... Or more truly, he felt the vulnerable moment and knew some flaw in his armor and lifted his sword, determined to kill it as he himself was killed. The confusion could not be described. Some darkness and turmoil, some terror of noise, a shedding of radiance seared them, a shedding thrice like a dark heat, black heat, an oppressive air-sucking heat. And the forest shuddered and was singed, bracken, shriveling, brush blackened, the sacred cedar sap melting, ran like blood down the trees, and upward in lines of blue, the precious volatile liquor ignited, streaking up as quickly as it trickled down, and clouds of fragrant incense poured forth from the forest and befogged them. Then it was gone. Humbaba retreated, wounded, into the forest. Gilgamesh was on his knees, disarmed, and Enkaidu, unconscious, prostrate on the ground. Humbaba hissed. 
Let me speak, Gilgamesh. I have no mother. I have no father. I am like the presence of the mountain that is all that I have ever known. It is she who nurtured me as far as I know, and so I keep her. Elo only knows why. Let me be. Let me go free, and I will let you, Gilgamesh, be the only one to possess her and my forest. You may take a palace from my trees. Gilgamesh was moved with compassion, he thought. Why should not a bird go free of its snare and return to her nest? Why should not a captive man return to his mother? And Kaido spoke to him. Gilgamesh, the strongest man will fail if he does not use his judgment. Fate that makes no distinction between men will eat him alive if the snared bird returns to its nest. If the captive man returns to his mother, then my friend will not return to his city. Humbaba hissed. In Kaidu, you speak evil. You are a beggar for your bread. You only wish to better Gilgamesh. Watch out, Gilgamesh, for his knife in your back. And Kaidu said, Do not listen, Gilgamesh. Humbaba must die. But as Gilgamesh replied to Enkaidu, still doubtful of his own heart, Humbaba leapt at Enkaidu to slay him, and Enkaidu was thrown like a leaf by the wind, tumbling like a leaf over and over across the ground and up the slope of the scree that spilled below the rock face. Gilgamesh felt Humbaba turn toward him, but lay flat and the force of the mountain moved over top of him like a charging bull whose turned-down horns had blindly missed. Again, the shedding radiance shedding thrice, the dark heat, the black heat, an oppressive air-sucking heat, and the forest groaned, and the sacred cedar sap melting flared, and incense befogged them. A last assault awaited Gilgamesh, who was disarmed, and whose friend now lay battered upon the rocks, was now unguarded and alone. But for the winds of Shamesh, that rose with the last light of day, the mountain now purpled with night, but the last winds of day, winds of the sun's last moment, Shamesh called them up. Winter winds, moaning winds, western and eastern, tempest, torrent, and whirlwind. They all converged. Thirteen winds in all converged. And whom Baba was darkened against the forest. A blackness in the darkness. He could not charge, and he could not run. Gilgamesh seized his axe and leapt into the blackness and brought its blade upon the mass of it, and Humbaba howled and hurled him away. Humbaba gasped for breath. Gilgamesh, you are young, I am not. But I will make the forest grow for you. I will keep the myrtle for your offering. I will give you cedars for your palace roof. Inkaido called out to his friend. 
Do not listen to his words. But Humbaba continued, I should have killed you when I first saw you. You have found the nature of the forest. You know it's magic in Kaidu. I plead to you. It's in your power. We're both children of this mountain. You know we are. Do not let Gilgamesh take my life. And Kaidu stood so that Gilgamesh could hear him. He said, Kill him now, Gilgamesh. Sever his head, gut him, or he shall do it to me. Do it before the gods know what we are about to do. Then we will make an inscription for all men to know, for all men for all time to know how Gilgamesh slew Mbaba. Mbaba raised himself to slay and Kaidu. His voice deafened them, and Kaidu knew he would not live another day. And Kaidu shouted, Why do you not listen to me, Gilgamesh? Then Enkaidu was silenced, and Mbaba was silenced, and Gilgamesh stood alone upon the body of Humbaba and drew out his entrails. Then he drew his friend Enkaidu away from the great body and revived him. Humbaba died this way. The triumph is told, carved on rock, taken from the face of this mountain that stands at the palace of the king of the four quarters of the world, so all will remember it. Humbaba's body they left to carrion birds and other scavengers to eat. They took down 40, 50 trees of whatever they wanted and chose and hauled them to the river and bound them into rafts that would carry them back to the city of Uruk. At last, Gilgamesh severed the rotting head from Humbaba's body and hung it from the gate of the forest. Then as Enkaidu guided the rafts down the river, Gilgamesh sat at the edge of the water and washed his weapons and washed the gore of Humbaba out of his hair. But in Kaidu, kin of the cedar forest of Humbaba, feared what they had done and was remorseful. We have ruined what should not be ruined, he said, without making his voice to be heard. <laughs>